1: let's get into today's insane case. Today's case takes place in Pacific County, Washington, which is Northwest from Seattle, near the coast of Washington. This is the case of Michelle Notick. Michelle Notick was the daughter of a high school track and football star and a quote unquote, depressive alcoholic. Michelle's father, Les, was a big deal in the city of Battleground. He eventually came to own a bowling alley and two nursing homes with his mother. Michelle's mother, Sharon, she just couldn't take care of her and Les's kids. In 1960, Sharon had Les and his second wife, Laura, take the older kids, and she kept her baby, Paul. Once Sharon was gone, it was like she never existed. In the spring of 1967, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department knocked on Les and Laura's door to inform them that Sharon had been murdered. At the time of her death, Sharon was homeless, living on Skid Row with her boyfriend. The only detail police provided was that Sharon had been beaten to death. They handed over baby Paul to Les and Laura. No one really seemed to care after Sharon passed away. The older kids weren't really that close to Sharon, and Paul was a baby, so it wouldn't be long before he got, before he forgot all about her. Plus, Laura, Les' second wife... Really embraced the children as her own and was a great stepmother. But all the love and support from a good stepmother couldn't fix what was already brewing in Michelle. Michelle, who was better known as Shelley to her friends and family, was a very difficult child. She was incredibly dramatic, nothing satisfied her, and she resented her brothers, which, of course, can be common for some siblings. But this was different. Shelley was dark and vengeful. Shelly spent a lot of time with her paternal grandma, Anna, and Anna was not a good role model for her granddaughter. Anna was described as a quote-unquote cruel queen, mostly because she tortured those who worked for her and lived with her. For example, she made her own husband, George, sleep in an 8x8 shed near the back door of the house. Her husband. Shelly would learn all of her torture techniques from Grandma Anna. Shelly was Grandma Anna's protege. They were, quote, inseparable, constant companions, end quote. In March 1969, Shelley was taken to a juvenile detention center, but not because of anything she'd done per se. Shelley accused her father of raping her, so her school principal had sent her to the juvenile facility while they investigated the claim. The story had been entirely fabricated by Shelley. In the process of the investigation, Her parents, Les and Laura, found out that Shelly had taken the story from one that she had read in a magazine. Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems
1: She never explained why she made up this story about her dad, but Les was incredibly hurt. Not only was the story totally false, Les was well-known in his community, and he was a prominent member of that community. Shelley's accusation could have ruined his career and his reputation. After the investigation turned up nothing, Shelly was released, but only on the condition that she get counseling. But that was hard to do. Shelly was stubborn, and Les and Lara couldn't make her do anything she didn't want to do. Her parents tried everything with Shelly, but they just couldn't deal with her. They had two kids together, plus Shelly's brothers to raise, and Shelly was a huge strain on their relationship. Les wasn't around a lot because of work, but when he was around, he spoiled Shelly. He gave her everything she wanted. Shelly was his princess even though she had falsely accused him of right-buying her things to placate her and quote-unquote make her happy, was Les's way of dealing with Shelly. Poor Laura was stuck disciplining or trying to discipline Shelly, and eventually she had to send Shelly to Hoodsport to live with her parents. Finally, a reprieve for the tired parents. By the time Shelly moved in with her step-grandparents, She had been kicked out of multiple schools. Shelly eventually ended up going to live with her aunt and uncle in Pennsylvania when her step-grandparents got tired of her. She met her first husband, Randy Rivardo, in the summer of 1971, when they were both in high school. Shelly eventually moved back to Washington to work for Les as a nurse's aide in one of his nursing homes. Shelly and Randy got married in February of 1971, when they were both just 19. The couple moved into a trailer rent-free, but Shelly was unhappy. She was eventually fired by her dad because she was a serial absentee. And even though she was living on her own and was married to her husband, she would still throw fits and get so upset when her dad didn't buy her whatever she wanted. She even tried to overdose on sleeping pills and alcohol after her dad didn't buy her the car she wanted. He literally bought her a car, but because it wasn't the Volkswagen bug that she wanted, she decided she would overdose on sleeping pills. Shortly after this overdose, Shelly made claims of a rape and attack while she was in the trailer alone one night. When the sheriffs came to investigate, they said that the wounds were self-inflicted. But after this little incident, Shelly made her husband move them into this cute little house because she was too afraid to stay alone in the trailer. So basically, she got exactly what she wanted. She didn't want to be in this trailer, so she concocted some story and even created injuries to herself just to get her husband to move where she wanted to move. In the summer of 1974, Shelly got pregnant. Her daughter Nikki was born in February of 1975. Despite this pregnancy and their beautiful daughter Nikki... Randy and Shelly weren't doing great. Money was incredibly tight because Shelly just took Randy's paychecks and would spend them on whatever she felt like spending them on. It got so bad that Randy would end up sleeping in his car. He eventually left Shelly and Nikki and filed for divorce. After her first marriage dissolved, Shelly disappeared for about a year. She left Nikki with her stepmom, Laura, and just took off. Literally nobody knew where she was or what she was doing for almost an entire year. She did eventually come back and get Nikki, but she would continue to keep gifts and letters that her father Randy sent to Nikki. She would hide them, she would throw them away, she would never actually give them to Nikki. Then there was Shelly's second husband, Danny Long. He was a neighbor of Shelly's, and they eventually got married in June of 1978. By that point, Shelly was already pregnant, and they welcomed their daughter Samantha in August 1978. They moved into Grandma Anna's old house in battleground, which had been willed to Shelly after Grandma Anna died. Once again, Shelly's second marriage was a total disaster. Danny and Shelly fought constantly. Shelly eventually asked her dad for money so that she could pay for a divorce. So Shelly's now been married twice, has two kids, has no job, has no skills, has no education, basically lives off of her dad spoiling her and really has no prospects. That's where Dave Notick comes in. Dave was born and raised in Raymond, Washington. His family was incredibly poor and he graduated from high school in 1971. Dave worked as a logger for about a year before he joined the Navy, where he learned to run heavy equipment while serving in Hawaii and Alaska. After he returned from the Navy, he got a really good job at Warehouser. Dave and Shelly met in April 1982 in Long Beach, Washington. Of course, Shelly didn't come just by herself. She had daughters Sammy and Nikki. But Dave really liked Sammy and Nikki, and he enjoyed spending time with all three of them. When Dave and Shelly met, once again, Shelley was in a financial distress. She couldn't afford the house that her grandma had given her, and so she quit claimed the house to Dave. He promised he would eventually give it back to her, and it was just a temporary fix. But of course, the mismanagement of money continued and eventually the house went into foreclosure. This is where Shelly first starts planting the seeds of control and deception in Dave. Shelly tells Dave that she has cancer. Now, of course, cancer is a super serious thing and it's never something to be taken lightly, to be joked about, to lie and tell people you have it when you don't. But Dave took Shelly at her word. He didn't think that Shelley would lie about something so extreme. And he was also wanting to be there for the girls. What would happen to them if Shelley died of cancer? Shelley and Dave move in together, they get a house in Raymond, and they get married on December 28th, 1987. But of course, Shelley can't control herself, and the sweet, loving, caring Shelley that Dave initially met quickly fell by the wayside. Shelley was definitely the violent aggressor of the two she wanted to control Dave. She had a violent temper, but Dave just couldn't leave her. He was in this constant abuse cycle that we see. She would give him love and affection, and then she'd turn around and go into rage outbursts where she would verbally assault him and physically assault him. At least in Shelly's eyes, it seemed like Dave could never do anything right, which has to be incredibly demoralizing as a man. Eventually, the couple moved into a bigger house with more privacy. And when they made this move, it was like something changed in Shelly. Now she wasn't satisfied just taking her aggression out on Dave. She began turning her attention to the girls, Sammy and Nikki. She would beat them if they did anything wrong in her eyes. And again, this was subjective to her even if it was something super normal that nobody else would think was wrong. The girls would also tell author Greg Olson that Shelly's favorite time to attack them was at night. She loved to surprise the girls while they were sleeping. Part of this is also because Shelly was an insomniac and she just never slept at night. So basically her awake time was in the middle of the night while everybody else is sleeping. So instead of letting her girl sleep, she wakes them up and starts verbally assaulting them, physically assaulting them. And they truly had no idea how and when their mom would be set off and go into these rage outbursts. And unfortunately, like we see a lot of times, the girls just hid their marks and didn't tell anybody what was going on. Michelle used that same abuse cycle with the girls, She would give them love and affection and apologize and say, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it. And then she would turn around and get set off again and go right back into that abuse. Essentially, Shelly just perpetuated drama amongst all of her family members to justify the abuse that she inflicted. She started taking shower privileges away from the girls. They couldn't shower unless they asked permission. She claimed that the water was running low, which Made absolutely no sense. But for Shelly, it was really all about control. And despite everything that the girls went through, they remained incredibly close to one another. They really only had each other. Shelly began referring to her punishment as quote unquote wallowing. This was a mix of humiliation and physical pain. Nikki would later tell Greg Olson that it was quote a nighttime activity and an all seasons endeavor, end quote. So this meant that her favorite time to engage in this wallowing was at night, but she would also make them wallow when it was freezing outside in the cold of winter and snow was on the ground. And Nikki was the prime target of her mother's abuse. Sammy had somehow decided that she was going to butter up Shelly, and that likely protected her from the severe beatings that Nikki was subject to. But Nikki, she was a fighter, and she wasn't going to take the abuse from her mom lying down. So she spent long periods locked in the basement, and she was subject to the wallowing far more often than Sammy was. At the beginning of the episode, I mentioned Shelly's youngest brother, Paul. Paul was in and out of prison. Despite that, he had a girlfriend, and they ended up having a baby together. But Shane's mom was into drugs, and once again, because Paul was in and out of prison, he wasn't really around a lot. So they discussed having Shelly adopt their son, Shane. Shane was a super sweet little boy. He loved heavy metal music and Bon Jovi, and he just had this fun and goofy personality. He was more like a brother to Nikki and Sammy, and they spent a lot of time together. Eventually, he did come to live with Shelly, Dave, and the girls. They moved him into the basement of the house and set up this cozy bedroom with all of his favorite things, and he called Shelly and Dave, mom and dad, and this was kind of the dynamic that they set up. This was almost like bringing a brother in for the girls, and he was treated like a member of their family. But unfortunately, that wouldn't last for long. Shane spent most of his time doing chores and he grew to become very scared of Shelley. She continued torturing Nikki and Shane and she forced them to stand outside naked even when there was snow and ice on the ground and it was freezing cold outside. So shortly after Shane moves in, Shelley gets pregnant again in 1988. She was 34 at this time. And around Christmas time, She announced that her best friend, Kathy Loreno, was going to be moving in with them. She didn't run this by anyone, including her husband, Dave. But Kathy worshipped Shelly. She had been a witness to Dave and Shelly's marriage. She did the girls' hair. And she basically was going to come in and help Shelly while she was pregnant and be a babysitter for Nikki, Sammy, and Shane while she was pregnant and dealing with a newborn baby. Kathy Lorena was born in the summer of 1958 and she moved from California to Washington. She felt like she was stuck in South Bend. She was a people pleaser and she actually paid the household bills for her mom because she was a giver and just too nice to do anything else. She ended up getting a payout for her father's wrongful death and she was able to buy a house but sadly she lost the house and had to move back in with her mom. She got depressed. She was fired from her job and financially she was just drowning. So this is around the time that Shelly offers to take her in and she can work as the care provider for the kids instead of paying rent for her room and board. Dave was again, taken aback by this a little bit because he wasn't even consulted, but he was super excited to be a dad. And because he was the sole provider, he often spent a lot of time away from the house. And so I think he rationalized it as someone would be there to help Shelly with the kids. And that was going to be great for them. Tori was born in June of 1989, and Shelly just reveled in the attention she got being a mom of a newborn. But that was about it. She didn't really want to do any of the things that a mother would normally do for a baby, such as changing diapers, feeding the baby. She really just kind of wanted to dress her up as her own little doll and kind of show her off. So initially when Kathy moved in, she took her babysitting role pretty seriously. And Nick and Shane would say that she became kind of more like a second mom rather than a babysitter. They said she was bossy, And because of the way Kathy saw Shelly interact with the kids, Kathy thought they were really bad kids. In reality, this was just Shelly being Shelly. She got mad at the slightest thing. She would get mad at the drop of a pin. Anything that she saw as a slight in her mind, she would get mad about. But overall, the kids were really good kids. They just were suffering in an abusive household and they didn't know how to tell people about that. At any rate... After Kathy moved in with Michelle and Dave, she started to kind of fade away. Initially, things were really good. It was that beginning stage of the relationship where there's love and affection and praise and everything's really happy and good. And then Shelly's true colors come out. At the time, there was this weird dynamic for Nikki and Shane in the house. Once Kathy moved in, they started getting abused less because their mom had a new target to focus on. So on one hand, they were incredibly relieved that their mother had moved on from them. But on the other hand, they knew that Kathy hadn't done anything wrong and she was an adult. So why was she getting the wrath of Shelly? So Shelly eventually started beating Kathy she pushed her down the stairs. She started using the same privilege system for Kathy that she'd used on her kids, such as permission to use the bathroom, permission to take a shower. She took Kathy's clothes and pictures and all of the belongings that she had brought when she moved in. She made Kathy do chores naked. Greg Olson never really elaborated on these quote-unquote chores that everyone was made to do. It basically sounded like whatever Shelly wanted people to do. She would just make a list and tell them to do it. It really didn't seem like these were legitimate chores. This was just kind of busy work that Shelly wanted people to do so she could control them. And like I mentioned, there was a lot of confusion between Nikki, Shane, and Sammy, the kids, as to why Kathy wouldn't just leave the house once Shelly started treating her this way. In their minds... Kathy was an adult. You know, she could have just left at any time. They didn't quite understand the pattern of abuse that was going on in that relationship. So, Shelly eventually started getting her kids involved in helping inflict the punishment. She loved to have somebody do her bidding so she didn't have to do the dirty work herself. Most often, it was Shane that she used to inflict harm on Kathy. But, Shelly would also hide Kathy in the closet. She cut Kathy's hair very poorly, which as a hairdresser, I'm sure just broke Kathy's heart. She made Kathy ride in the trunk whenever they went on family vacations. And I read this one camping trip that they went on. Everybody else slept in a tent, but Shelly made Kathy sleep under the car. And then she made her sleep in the trunk of the car. Not only was there physical and mental abuse, but Shelly was also. This will conclude the episode.